Today on Blue 58, NFL teams are always thinking ahead, and that means we should be too. So let's take a second and look ahead to what Packers could be up for contract extensions very soon. Then, how did players who left Green Bay do last year with their new NFL teams? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. Got a lot to cover in this one, talking contract extensions, guys who moved on to different teams, and then diving into chapter five of Take Your Eye Off the Ball. We're talking contract extensions, thanks in part to a question from a listener. Steven asks, my question is about contract extensions. I've spent some time browsing SpotTrack recently, and I'm curious who the Packers will extend in the near future and when that might happen. Also, which players do you think the Packers should offer an extension to, or to which players, uh, using the correct grammar that Stephen actually used in his email? I just messed up reading it. Thank you, Stephen, for the question. If you have a question, always uh, be sure to reach out wherever you find the show, YouTube, uh, via email. Uh, just let us know if you've got a question. would love to answer it, and that helps everybody. Uh, learn a little bit more about maybe something that they're wondering about too. So contract extensions. The Packers have a bunch of potential free agents next offseason, but a lot of them are either exclusive rights or restricted free agents. So you don't really have to worry about that one. Unfortunately, Alan Lazard, that means that you're probably sticking around in Green Bay into 2021, no matter what happens this year, because he is an exclusive rights free agent. We're talking about the unrestricted free agents, the guys who can move on and sign anywhere. And not everyone on that list is necessarily interesting as well. Nominally, Lane Taylor will be an unrestricted free agent next year if the Packers don't cut him sooner. Same deal goes for Mercedes Lewis. If he comes back at all, it'll probably be in Green Bay and close to a minimum deal, kind of like what he's going on, got going on right now. That said, I think there are seven interesting names that the Packers should be should be talking about, uh, and that will be we should be watching pretty closely too. It's a pretty even split between defense and offense. Four on offense, but two of them play the same position. Three on defense, and again, two of them play the same position there or similar positions. Um, it should be noted. So let's talk through each of these guys, and we'll we'll do a couple different criteria here. First, when do you think they'll be extended? To circle back to Stephen's questions, will the Packers do it, and should they do it? Or maybe we'll flip those those two. Should the Packers extend um, this player, and will they? So we'll take the first two together because they say they play the same position. You probably know who these guys are going to be: Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. You can see the case either way here. Both have been pretty solid players. Jones, in particular, uh, has been excellent for the Packers. And it would seem like if you're running a Madden franchise, you would just say, let's let's roll it back. Let's keep playing with these guys. Unless you can find somebody in the draft who's like faster than Jamal Williams, you'd probably do that deal. But it's not quite so simple in the NFL. For starters, running back shelf life is pretty short. So even if you do extend a guy who's had relatively few carries like Aaron Jones, chances are you're going to get diminishing returns as he gets into his mid and later 20s. Secondly, it doesn't make as much sense anymore to spend big money on a running back because you can find replacement running backs pretty easily. So why would you pay up big money to extend a guy when you can find a guy who's almost as good 
maybe even like 75% as good in the draft for next to nothing and have him for next to nothing for the same amount of time that you would have that other guy who's making big money. Complicating this for both Jones and Williams is that the Packers just drafted another running back. So should the Packers extend either of these guys? If it's my team, I say no. Will they is a different question. I think in Williams' case, that's still a no. And if I was Jamal Williams, I would be picking up some change of address forms at the post office because I think there's a good chance he might not make it out of training camp. If I was the Packers, I would be looking to shop him and move him right now if that was possible. Get whatever you can for him because there's really no reason to keep a a fourth body at running back. And if you could get a return on a guy that's probably going to be out of town at the end of the season, go for it. Aaron Jones is a different question. For me, the answer would still probably be no, good as it might be. Good as he might be. And as crazy as it might sound, it might not be all that bad of an idea to to shop him around and see what somebody might be willing to give you for him. Trent Richardson got a first-round pick a few years back. What What could you get for Aaron Jones? Surely you could sucker somebody into that, right? I'm not saying that's what they should do. I'm not saying that's what they will do. I'm saying... You might want to think about it if you're a general manager and you've got an asset like Aaron Jones that you can move. I'm kind of getting the impression, though, that the Packers will try to extend Aaron Jones. I have no idea what it could cost because I think every running back contract kind of has to be taken on a case-by-case basis. He's probably not going to get Christian McCaffrey money because he's a different. The, the Packers just use him differently than Christian McCaffrey, and you're going to see over the next few years, even if he does stick around, he will not be getting the full workload that Christian McCaffrey gets. That said, he's still a very good player. And I think the Packers, if they're going to be more run-focused, are going to want to keep as many good running backs around as they can, provided it doesn't completely wreck their cap. So I think the Packers will probably try to extend Aaron Jones, and they'll probably try to do it prior to the season starting. That same thing, that same rule, I guess, goes for the next name on our list, Kenny Clark. So the the questions here are pretty easy for Clark. Should the Packers extend him? Yes. He's a great young player. He's young even as far as young players go, and that sounds weird, but I think you understand what I mean. He he came into the league very young. He's still still on the upswing as far as um, developing as a player. Will the Packers extend him? Yes, absolutely. This is going to get done. Unless Kenny Clark is hit by a bus tomorrow or sometime between now and the start of the season, he is going to get extended in Green Bay. That may come in the form of a franchise tag, but he is going to get extended. If they don't get a deal done, there is no way that they are going to let Kenny Clark just walk out the door. And as I say that, I realize it's probably going to result him walking out the door and the Packers just contenting themselves with nothing. But I don't think it's going to happen. The Packers should extend Kenny Clark, and they probably will, barring some extremely unforeseen circumstances. When is getting to be a tricky question. I understand why the Packers didn't do it prior to last season. He was just entering year four. They still have him under team control for two more years. Just in case something would happen, you might as well let him play out that fourth year and see where things go. If you would have a terrible injury or something like that, 
you just saved yourself potentially tens of millions of dollars because you didn't do a big contract extension when you didn't have to. Unfortunately for the Packers, and fortunately for Kenny Clark, because he's going to make a lot of money, he not only stayed reasonably healthy for the whole year, he had a really good season and one that he finished very, very strong. So as the Packers are watching that season play out, they're very happy with how he's playing, but they're also watching the price tag go up and up and up. And now they're in a situation where Kenny Clark holds a lot more of the cards because he's headed into the last year of his contract. And if he wanted to, all things being equal with what's going on in the world with the everything, he's in a prime position to hold out if that was something that he wanted to do. Again, not saying that he would or he will or he should, but if he wanted to, this would be the time to do it. He's got all the leverage now. Timing is becoming important. And if the Packers want to avoid really getting taken to the cleaners, they should probably try to get a deal done sooner than later. In a normal year, I would say by the end of training camp. But again, we're in a bit of a weird situation here because of the everything that I keep talking about. So Kenny Clark has to be at the top of the to-do list. Exactly when you can start checking some of those items off, who's to say? Back over on the other side of the ball, we got to talk about two offensive linemen, starting with left tackle David Bakhtiari. The Packers traditionally have not really wanted to give third contracts to offensive linemen. And the way things were looking at the start of last season, David Bakhtiari not playing particularly well, battling a back injury, heading towards the end of his second contract, you could start to see a familiar situation playing out. Josh Sitton had some back injuries, ended up out of Green Bay, I guess technically before the end of his second contract. T.J. Lang also battled some injuries, ended up in Detroit for a third contract, both about the same age as David Bakhtiari is now. However, Bakhtiari really rallied last year, showed himself to be pretty healthy, had a great second half of the season, and now heads into the final year of his contract, ready to go. Given the turmoil it would cause on their offensive line, given that they didn't draft a starting caliber tackle, given that there really is a lack of tackle depth on the roster right now anyway, I think the Packers probably should be looking to extend David Bakhtiari. On top of the fact that he's still a pretty effective player. I also think... Given the next name on this list, they probably will. Because unless they extend both David Bakhtiari and Corey Lindsley, there's a good chance they're going to have to be turning over 40% of their offensive line next offseason. And depending how things go with Billy Turner, it might be 60%. That's not an ideal situation. You want to plug as few holes in your offensive line in one offseason as you possibly can. So I think the Packers will end up extending David Bakhtiari, but I think this is a situation where they wait until either late in the season or after the season to get it done. I don't think they're rushing to do this deal prior to the start of the season because there are some considerations there with age and injury-related decline that could be a possibility. Corey Lindsley is a bit of a different case. Up until this year, 
and even it was a very small blip in his season. He's been very, very healthy. Quite healthy. But he also has the disadvantage of playing a less valuable position than David Bakhtiari does. Corey Lindsley's been great. One of my favorite players over the time he's been in Green Bay. But I think it's a lot easier to find a replacement center than it is a replacement starting tackle. So if I'm the Packers, I don't think they should be looking to extend Corey Lindsley. And from the outside looking in, I also don't think they will. So since I don't think they will, and I don't think they should, I don't think we have to answer the timing question. But if they were to extend him, I suppose we can. If they were to extend him, I think you also wait until after the season here. You wait to see what happens injury-wise, see what things happen as far as his performance this year. If he really declines, if he takes a step back, you just move on with a clear conscience. If he gets hurt, you move on with a clear conscience. If he plays out of his mind, you probably move on because he's just going to be super expensive and you don't want to have to pay two starting offensive linemen contract extensions. Back on the defensive side for two more here. Montrevious Adams, I think, is probably going to be a pretty easy decision. He, like Jamal Williams, might not make it out of training camp. In fact, I think it's one of those situations where the Packers would prefer that someone just make this an easy decision for them. Some other defensive lineman just step up and take his roster spot. Move on with Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, and two other guys not named Montrevious Adams. Because he hasn't given the Packers much to go on in the time that he's been in Green Bay. But it's a much different question, I think, for Kevin King. The last potential contract extension we'll talk about. To be fair to people in the anti-King camp, it's been a bit of an up-and-down journey here in Green Bay. Those first couple years were pretty rough. Last year was at times pretty good. It was also pretty bad at times. I would have to check my numbers for sure, but I believe Kevin King was either number one or number two in yards per reception allowed on the Packers. And you don't want your starting corners to be anywhere near number one or number two. So the fact that it was even a conversation is really the point here. That's the bad part. Not that he was the exact number figure or whether he was number one or number two is not the problem. That he was even close to there is the issue. Kevin King has been known to give up some big plays and give them up fairly regularly. As we pointed out in the past, it hasn't always been his fault. The Packers secondary has been, to put it mildly, been in a little bit of turmoil the past couple of seasons, and it really kind of stabilized in the way that I think the Packers front office has been trying to get it for a while last year. And I realize that's a pretty low bar. That's not really the point. The fact that Kevin King hasn't been good (laughs) makes this a tough conversation because If he can be good at all, even if he can be like a C-plus, B-minus player, I think extending him still becomes a conversation because of the everything else with Kevin King. The size, the speed, the length, the things that he can do when he is good Kevin King, playing the ball, press coverage, 
Those are all really valuable things. At perhaps the most valuable or at worst, second most valuable position on defense. It's either edge rusher or corner, and he plays one of those two. That's a tough question for me. Should the Packers extend him? If they think he can be at least like a B minus, let's say B player, I think the answer is yes. Whether or not he can be is still an open question here heading into year four. And I think if the Packers are interested at all in extending him, they have to wait until after the season. Maybe he's one of those deals where you do it late in the year, really see wait as long as possible until you get to the without getting to the point where you're really going to be paying through the nose, and then try to make a deal. Because I don't think the Packers want to buy in right now because this thing could still really go sideways. Speaking of things going sideways, we've got to take a second to talk about some former Packers players who ended up playing elsewhere after their time in Green Bay. This comes courtesy of a question from a listener named Adam way back in February. Adam wrote, and I I haven't followed up with you, Adam, but uh, this this topic's been floating around in the back of my mind ever since then. Um, But Adam wrote back then, February 14th, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody, in retrospect. I was thinking I didn't hear much in the news about recent ex-Packers players and how they performed in the 2019 season, maybe because I only followed those who play for the Packers. What if there was an episode devoted to reviewing said players? This would give us Packers fans even more data to use when we're thinking about how we can relate to the or rate the GM's decisions and how they may have affected the team as a whole. That is a very good question, Adam, and it's something that we we should do more regularly and something we're going to do at least on a small level right now because I've only got five players. I didn't want to uh, to burden us down with everybody who went on to play elsewhere because a lot of the people who ended up getting cut by the Packers over the last two years or the Packers just moved on from have ended up out of the league. And there were maybe bad decisions uh, prior to that um, that should have been taken into consideration. But just for two quick examples, Nick Perry and Quentin Rollins, both of the Packers or both of them have left the Packers in the last two years and haven't really caught on anywhere else. That's not interesting to talk about as far as free agent decisions go, because there were bad decisions prior to that. In Quentin Rollins' case, it was drafting him at all. In Nick Perry's case, it was giving him a monster extension based like on four games. That's not what we're looking for here. These were guys the Packers either cut or let walk and then ended up elsewhere. So we've got five guys who have moved on from the Packers since roughly 2016. So let's look at those five and how they've done the last couple of years. Starting with Micah Hyde, he signed a five-year, $30 million deal with the Buffalo Bills in 2017. Since then, he's played well, has missed just one game, only eight picks in his four years since then, but he made the Pro Bowl in 2017. He would be a really great player to have on the Packers right now because his skills in Green Bay really have been the same as they are in Buffalo. He can do a lot of different things. Um, and has really excelled given the opportunity to play just one position, being safety. In Green Bay, he still could have done the play a little bit of everything role that he did while he was here. Play a little slot corner, a little outside corner, a little safety, a little dime linebacker. That sounds like exactly the sort of player that Mike Pettin would love to have. 
And given that his cap hit has never been higher than $6.8 million, this is a deal the Packers probably should have done. And I defended the move at the time, at least in part, by saying, yeah, it kind of is a bummer to see him go, but if you're going to make him one of the top paid safeties in the league, well, I guess you can live with that. Forgetting the one real rule of contract evaluation that the cap goes up. Hyde still is like the 12th highest paid free safety, but it's getting pretty far down the list. The 12th highest paid anything is still something that you'd probably be okay with having around if their cap hit is never higher than $6.8 million and they're making Pro Bowls. You can probably live with that. Similar sort of situation with Casey Hayward. He signed a three-year, $15 million deal with the then San Diego Chargers in 2016. He has since had that deal extended to a three-year, $30 million deal. The big difference with Hayward is he's a lot healthier now than he was when he was in Green Bay. Never missed a game, in fact, with the Chargers. He's had 13 interceptions over his 62 games there, made the Pro Bowl in 2016 and 17, and second team All-Pro in 2016 and 17 as well, also led the NFL in picks in 2016. Now, he has slowed down a little bit since then. The picks have not been coming quite so fast and furious. However, given where the Packers were in their defensive backfield in 2016 and 17, it does sting a little bit there, especially since he was um, on a relatively affordable deal. Three years, $15 million. You could probably live with that in Green Bay. Now, obviously, he's gotten bumped up since then. That's a problem that you love to have. Sure, sign a guy for cheap and then have to think about extending him because he's outplayed the deal you gave him. The very definition of a good problem to have. And the Packers have not had a lot of those sorts of good problems in their secondary since guys like Hyde and Hayward left. The next one is an extremely painful for one for me, one for me personally. We've got to talk for a second about Jared Cook. The lasting memory of Jared Cook, of course, is that great catch he had in the 2016 playoffs against the Dallas Cowboys, essentially winning that game for them, although Mason Crosby did have a big part to do with it. Um, I, I spent some time today trying to figure out what went wrong with Jared Cook, and I haven't been able to really land on anything in particular other than the Packers apparently really just trying to lowball him. Because he signed that offseason after the 2016 season, with the Oakland Raiders for just $10.6 million over two years. Actually, less than the Packers ended up giving Martellus Bennett. Right. Right between the ribs, right there. Something sharp, right between the ribs. It hasn't been good for the Packers at tight end since Jared Cook left. And he is now in the second year of a two-year $15 million deal with the New Orleans Saints. He's been productive just about everywhere he's gone. And the Packers' tight ends, well, they have they've not. Since he left Green Bay, Jared Cook has racked up 165 catches for 2,289 yards and 17 touchdowns. In that same time span, the Packers' tight ends, well, they haven't been as good. They've got 200 catches, which is good. But their yardage is not good as good as what uh, Jared Cook has been putting up. Packers tight ends over the last three seasons have combined to put up 2,252 yards and 11 touchdowns on those 200 catches. A lot of that coming from guys like Lance Kendricks, Mercedes Lewis, Richard Rodgers, 
Robert Tanyan, remember Emmanuel Bird? It hasn't been pretty at tight end since Jared Cook left. And as much as I love tight ends, I would love to have Jared Cook around or have loved to have had him around over the last few years. Two more, then we'll make move on to take your eye off the ball. Last spring, Clay Matthews left the Green Bay Packers to sign a two-year, $16.75 million deal with the Los Angeles Rams. Good for him. That's a good contract. However, a year later, and eight sacks in 13 games, uh, he has been released and is now still a free agent. I'd be interested in seeing him in Green Bay in the right circumstance, but I'm not holding my breath. Same sort of thing goes for Randall Cobb. Last spring, he signed a deal I think a lot more affordable than I would have anticipated, and I think a lot of people would have. One-year, $5 million deal with the Dallas Cowboys. In his one year with the Cowboys, he had 55 catches for 828 yards and three touchdowns. Pretty solid season there for Mr. Cobb, and he parlayed that into a three-year, $27 million deal with the Houston Texans. And I only have three words to say about that. Good for him. That is way more money than a player his age and productivity level should be making. But get it while you can, Randall. Good for you. So those are some free agents that have left the Packers for a variety of reasons. Not all bad decisions. I think Clay Matthews is at least defensible, given what else they did at at edge rusher. Randall Cobb, you can see it. A couple of those other ones, though, not so pretty. You have any names you'd like us to follow up on? Uh, any ones that particularly jump out to you as uh, as really twisting the knife a little bit, let us know. We'd love to talk about it. Let's move on and uh, continue to take our eyes off the ball, courtesy of Pat Kerwin. Pat is uh, doesn't really tell us anything, I think, in Chapter 5 that we didn't already know or things that we haven't talked about already. He's talking about pass catchers. Wide receivers, tight ends, where they line up on the field, what they do. And I think a lot of this is stuff that people understand pretty well. There is some stuff with the X and the Z receivers that is interesting, but I don't think we need to dive into it into it here because it's stuff that we've talked about a little bit already. However, there are two things that I wanted to point out. One that I think is going to be relevant to an upcoming discussion I want to have, and one that just made me laugh a little bit. First, The idea of different wide receiver positions playing into matchup football. Football, like I talked about on the last episode fairly extensively, is is more about matchups than about running the right plays. You want to put the players you have in the right positions or in the best positions to make the plays that they can with the skills that they have. Makes a lot of sense if you start to break it down. A consistent criticism I've had of the Packers over the last couple years is that they have not really diversified their receiving core. Other than Randall Cobb, it's just been a lot of tall, leggy, thickly built wide receivers, which is fine, but I think it limits the way that you can take advantage of opposing teams' matchups. And I think the Packers may have the same sort of problem heading into this season. That said, looking back at what we talked about in the last episode, you can still find a way to get some good matchups in different personnel alignments personnel groupings, moving guys around on the field. It makes it a little bit harder, but it's something that you can still do. The second thing, and this just made me laugh a little bit, and we'll end on this one, is his discussion about Jimmy Graham. Kerwin talks about Jimmy Graham a little bit dismissively because he refers back to Jimmy Graham's contention after the 2013 season that he should be considered a wide receiver 
instead of a tight end. Why did he think that? Because the Saints were going to franchise tag him and the franchise tag for wide receivers paid a lot more than that for tight ends. And Kerwin says this, there was never any question in my mind aside whether he should be considered a wide receiver or tight end in his contract dispute. As soon as John Pollard of Stats LLC told me that Graham was covered by a non-cornerback 69.3% of the time in 2013, that confirmed for me what we already knew. Jimmy Graham was a tight end. He was covered by a linebacker 29.4% of the time, and no linebacker ever covers a wideout in the NFL. Yeah, well, how did that work out for opposing defenses? How did covering Jimmy Graham like he is a tight end instead of a wide receiver, work out for opposing defenses. Here's how Jimmy Graham did in 2013. 86 catches, 1,215 yards, and 16 touchdowns. Whether you're a wide receiver or a tight end doesn't matter there. That's a lot. That's a lot for opposing defenses to give up just because they insist on covering him with a linebacker instead of a cornerback. They should have been covering him with a cornerback. Pat, just because they weren't doesn't mean it was a good idea. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Next week, we're going to spend some time taking a look at wide receivers. We've spent a lot of time talking about things kind of around wide receivers. So I figured we should take a second and look at wide receivers in particular. But that is a conversation for another day. If this episode uh, tripped your trigger, if you liked it, if you thought somebody would benefit from it, do me a favor and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from hearing it, because that is how we are going to continue expanding this conversation around the Green Bay Packers and helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.